If you've got a Bible with you and you want to turn to the book of Ephesians, we're continuing in our series um, looking at the church. And today we're, we're going to be looking at what it means to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led community. So um, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 8 down to verse 20. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're just going to turn to Galatians 5 as well, just two verses, I don't think they'll be up on the screen, but I'll just read these out. Galatians 5, 24 and 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep also in step with the Spirit. Let's pray again, shall we? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired these words to be written. We just pray now, as we open your word this morning, as we dig deep into what it is to um, be filled with you, Lord, just take any scales off our eyes that need to be removed, that our lives may be refreshed once again by the living God. Lord, help us to come thirsty for you. As the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Lord, help us to come this morning with that mindset, we pray. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Simon, if we could just have the, the PowerPoint up, that'd be great. We were out walking um, one evening just after Christmas, and we were just walking around the roads, and um, I don't know if you sometimes come across little bits of roadworks, and you're thinking, I wonder what is going on here. Now, I was very confused as to what was going on, because it had this sign in front of it. You know, you're thinking, shall I obey what it says? Shall I just stand here? And wait. But I wasn't alone, so I didn't. I carried on, because it's only for a singular pedestrian. But sometimes we come across things, and we're thinking, what on earth is this about? What on earth is this about? I think somebody had just put the wrong sign out, to be honest. But what is it about? I don't know if you ever find yourself reading the scriptures, opening God's word, and saying, well, this all sounds wonderful, but what is it about? What does it actually mean? What does it mean for me? living my day-to-day life. Be filled with the Spirit. You know, it sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds a very positive thing. It sounds a very affirming thing. But what does it mean for the community of the church? What does it mean for me as an individual, for you as an individual, to be filled with the Spirit? Now, we can find ourselves talking very technically about the difference between filling of the Spirit, Spirit baptism, Spirit enabled, all these type of terms. We're not going to go down that road particularly today, but just to look at what Paul says about being filled. 
I think the most important thing we need to say before we even venture into Ephesians is to say that the Holy Spirit is God. Just listen to that again. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not some vague force. It's not something like the force out of Star Wars. It's not just a nice feeling. It is the third person of the Trinity, God himself. Look at these words. These are words from the Nicene Creed that say who the Holy Spirit is. Shall we read these together? This is what we believe about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who was spoken through the prophets. And that is the foundation of what the church believes about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God. And the Spirit was promised by Jesus. Look at this from John 14. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and will be with you forever. The Spirit, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot know him or accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Just think about that. God in us. God living in us. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And as the accounts of the church continue, as in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, God himself, God in the flesh, goes back to be with his Father. In Acts chapter 2, the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit, comes down on the church, onto all flesh, all who will call in repentance and faith on um, on the name of Jesus Christ. And what happens? What happens at Pentecost? Well, this relatively small group of people met in an upper room, praying, seeking God, are suddenly burst onto the world scene. And it becomes the greatest missionary movement that the world has ever seen. The frightened, the fearful, well, they become bold and courageous, and they go out proclaiming the gospel. Within a few decades, the church is numbering tens of thousands. By the year 200, historians estimate 200,000 people have become Christians. By the year 250, 2 million people have become Christians. By the year 300, 6 million people have become Christians. Talk about church growth. That is church growth. If you like your maps, that's how it sort of started. The darker bits are the early bits, and the blue bits are the edge of the Roman Empire. By the year 300, Christianity had spread the whole way over that area. Why did the church grow? Well, historians come up with all kinds of fancy answers. They will talk about socio-economic things. They'll talk about politics. But I think there's a very simple answer. The church grew because it was spirit-empowered. The church grew because it was filled with the spirit. The church became dependent on the spirit. The church learned to go out because as the spirit taught them, they had courage to go out and share the gospel. And they would suffer. They would suffer. Being a Christian is not an easy life. You know, if you think being a Christian is an easy life, read Acts chapter 7 and see what happened to Stephen. It's not an easy life. It's a call to a faithful life. It is a call to a life of courage. Sadly, over the years, as you get into the 4th, 5th, and the centuries beyond, the church became very institutionalized. And rather than being dependent on the Spirit, it started to be dependent on hierarchy, on the ways of doing things. And over the centuries that have gone in between then and now, we've gone through bits of stages of being a bit more Spirit-led, and then through stages of intense formalism and, sadly, rather spirit-bereft. 
So we're going to look at these two passages in turn this morning. First of all, the one from Ephesians, which we'll spend rather longer on. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And then we'll just spend a bit of time in Galatians as well. So let's have a look at what it means to be a Spirit-filled church, a Spirit-filled community. Well, quite simply, to be Spirit-filled, I believe, is to see evidence of God at work. It's to see evidence of God at work in our lives, in our church communities, in our area. And the church was never, ever meant to exist without the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. That was never meant to happen. That was never what Jesus promised. It's often been said, um, you know, what would happen in our church if the Holy Spirit was no longer here? What would change? Would anything change? Are we really dependent on God being in our midst to change us, to transform us, to grow us, and to refresh us? Now, as the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost and at other times during the book of Acts, there is evidence that the Spirit has fallen, things that anybody can see. There's the dramatic things, things like wind and fire and tongues and shaking of buildings. As we saw a few weeks back, the signs and wonders, was a, it was very much part of what the early church was about. The watching world could see that the Spirit of God had fallen. But experience is only one aspect of what the Spirit will do. Because you see, as the Spirit fills the individual, actually we become enabled to lead the life that Jesus wants us to lead. The fruits of the Spirit. We are born again by the Spirit. We are changed, as the hymn writer says, from glory into glory. We start to demonstrate those things like patience, um, kindness, love, self-control, all those fruits of the Spirit. We start to be enabled and empowered by the gifts of the Spirit. And as Jesus said, the Spirit comes as our comforter. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've found this, I'll I'll tell you an example in my own life, but um, you'll be praying, you're in a difficult situation, and you'll pray, Holy Spirit, would you just come into this situation? And there is a peace there that transcends any kind of normal expectation. God has shown up. There is evidence that God is in our midst. A number of years ago, um, I remember having an MRI scan on my head. Um, I hadn't been very well, and they were trying to work out what was going on. And I remember going into that scanner thinking, I don't know what comes next. I really didn't know what comes next. And I remember going in there and just praying, God, would you just fill me at this point? And I laid there. And if you've ever been in an MRI scanner, it's the most awful experience. There's like bangings going on all around you and this kind of thing. But in that moment, God showed up in the unexpected place. There was evidence that God was at work. I had this sense of peace that, to be honest, most days I do not have. You know, if I'm honest. But God in that moment has showed up as comforter. Is there evidence in your life, in my life? Is there evidence in the life of the church that God is with us? Are we becoming more like Jesus? Are we empowered to lead the Christian life? Are we filled with the Spirit? Is there evidence that God is doing stuff that we can't do on our own? Is there evidence of God doing stuff that we can't do on our own? So Paul says to the Ephesian church, the Ephesian Christians, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. And that word filled, it's a continual be filled. It's not a one-off experience, but it's the continual infilling. And what he does before he says that, he says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but rather be filled with the Spirit. And so what he does here is he offers us a contrast 
between another thing that will produce the experience, and we'll look at that in a moment, and the actual life of the Holy Spirit. Two things contrasted. You know, drinking alcohol in excess will produce an experience. I think most of us have come across people who have drunk a vast amount of alcohol and who are staggering around and slurring their words. And it can be easy for us as Christians sometimes forget that actually this is God's instruction, that we're not to do that. We're not to be in that way. You know, I know there are many reasonable and good conversations to have about drinking in moderation and people who choose to abstain. And I know there are people in this room who have different views on that and it's good to talk about those things. But there is a point in the scriptures where actually it says that drinking to excess, drinking to get drunk, actually makes us less than what God would want for us. It actually takes away from who we are. We actually diminish as people. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody drunk and thought, oh, what a wise person that person is. How much knowledge and goodness is coming out of this person who is staggering around. That is not what God would want for us. Now we can apply those same things to drug abuse or anything else that makes a person behave as less than God will call them to be. And so Paul says, don't be like that, but be like this. Don't be filled with all this stuff that pulls you away, but be filled with the Spirit of God. A life that leads to Christ-centeredness, of godly character, of evidence of God at work. And then Paul says, he says, well, drunkenness, well, that leads to debauchery. That's quite an old-fashioned word, isn't it, really? But it sort of means, you know, indulging in the excesses of the flesh, as Paul would say things that draw us away from God. N.C. Wright um, has done his own translation of the New Testament, going back to the the Greek, and he doesn't translate that as debauchery, but as dissipation. So that's closer to the original meaning. But you know, if something dissipates, it becomes less than it was. You know, if if it's been foggy in the morning, then you might say, if you're feeling very posh, the fog has dissipated. But it means it's sort of drifted off. It's less than it was. It's not having the impact that it was. You know, if we dissipate as people, that is not a good thing. If our character has dissipated, if who we are becomes thinly spread, that is not a good thing. Paul says, don't be like that, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't become less than, but become more of what God would want for you. One writer puts it like this. He who is made drunk with the wine merely totters around and sways. But he who is filled with the Spirit grows and is rooted, and becomes more like Christ. And so it's a contrast. He moves us on, verse 19. When we're filled with the Spirit, we have a song to sing. The best music comes from the heart, doesn't it? Um, If you're listening to a performance of music, and there is no feeling in it, you you will probably switch off quite rapidly. Um, It's just mechanical notes. I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again. I had a piano teacher when I was in my teenage years, and he was a very enthusiastic bloke, and he was the only person who kept me enjoying playing the piano from being about sort of 13 to about 17. And I can remember, midway through the lesson, he always went and got a drink, always went downstairs, put the kettle on, and said, just keep playing, I'm keeping listening. And then he would come shouting in from the other room, stop playing like an Englishman. Stop this stiff upper lip way of playing. Play like a Frenchman. I don't know why it was always French, but play like a Frenchman. And what he meant was put some heart into it. Put some heart into it. Do not play with this kind of sterility, with no emotion at all. Do we have a heart song? Is the Spirit causing us to have a God song that's in our hearts that is just brimming up and brimming out and brimming over? Do we see our lives lived through the context of who God is? Or are we flat? Do we not have a song to sing? 
Do we not have anything that um, sort of bubbles up inside of us, something of elation of what Jesus has done? You know, Jesus who died, rose again, and has poured his spirit out. Does that not cause us to sing? And then we get this bit about singing different types of songs. Psalms, spiritual songs, songs of the spirit. God's people have always sung. The New Testament itself is full of many songs, some absolutely wonderful songs. And then as you go out of the New Testament into the next generation of writings, there are also songs. There are some very strange ones, but there's some really good ones. One in the second century called Hail Gladdening Light. If you've been in churches for a while, you may know it. It's still sung in some places. And it's a hymn that people used to sing when they were lighting the candles in the evening. And it says, just as the light of Jesus shines out of these um, candles, so may God's light come and shine. And the church sang, and the church continues to sing. But also, in those early centuries of the church, beyond the end of the New Testament, there is still spontaneity. There is still the sense that actually sometimes the Spirit just gives us a song and we need to sing it out. We need to sing it out. We need to prepare to have that kind of spontaneity among us. We are not very good at that. Well, some of us are, Eric, aren't we? Um, I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning that. But Eric, at our prayer meetings, will regularly just lead us in a song of praise as the Spirit gives him sort of that sense of this is what we need to be singing now. I wish that we were more like that, don't you? That we had that spontaneous, just that we can sing. Um, we used to have a, a rule in our, our old church that if somebody starts a song, once in, all in. You know, don't leave the poor person singing a solo. <laughs> just get joined in and join in and let's sing with God together. And so as the New Testament draws to a close... The the Christian communities, they are singing songs. They are singing songs that they have written. They're joining in with all the stuff that the Jewish communities are singing, the Psalms, getting back into the Old Testament, singing all those kind of things. You know, I think we think wrongly if actually we think that as, as the New Testament comes to an end, churches were full of pews with people using hymns ancient and modern. It was not like that. It was spontaneous. The church was being guided and led by the Spirit. Are we open to the Spirit? Are we filled with the Spirit? Do we have a heart song? Are we on our knees praying that the Spirit will continue to fill us? See, two millennia later, we live not in a world where the church is dominant, but we live in a society where the church is increasingly pushed to the margins and where we need more and more of the Spirit to guide us and lead us. We are much more in the situation the early church was than we are of the church of 100 years ago in this country. You know, our legal system in our our country no longer particularly leans towards Christian faith or those kind of things. And so actually, we have to work out what does it mean to be spirit-led and spirit-guided. Are we open to the spirit? Are we open? So Paul says, be continually filled. Be continually filled. Now, are we praying that the Spirit will fill us? Is that a daily prayer? Is that a daily prayer that our lives will be God-enabled, filled with the things of God, that we will grow in holiness, we will grow in love, we will demonstrate Christ, we will have the heart song? How do we know God is filling us? Well, sometimes it is an experience. I don't want to say that there are never times when we experience God. Yes, we do, and we need to be open to that. But sometimes when God has filled us, actually we just become more obedient. We show to our love through the way we behave. We become people of praise, 
people with a heart song, people who are growing in Christ-likeness, people who are filled with the fruit of the Spirit and empowered with the gifts of the Spirit. Are we filled with the Spirit? Do you desire today to be filled? Do you long to be filled on that daily basis? Let's be a church that is on our knees. This is not something we can do ourselves. You know, we can do all kinds of things in church ourselves. We can make church look good, sound good, all the rest of it. But we cannot transform the church. We cannot lead people to salvation. That is the Spirit's job. And we have to seek the Spirit out. The Spirit will come when we pray, Lord, fill us. Second thing, and much more briefly, walking in step with the Spirit. Last week, Ian Christensen was urging us to be people with a deeper prayer life. And for those of us who were there on the Saturday in the the conference that he did, um, he spent quite a bit of time in Psalm 91. And it's a psalm that talks about dwelling in God. And the psalms is full of of, um, uh, psalms like that that talk about seeking after God. You know, earnestly I seek you. I long after you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've already mentioned that. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And just this sense of searching and longing for God, but then dwelling in God. And he made the point last week, you know, there are some things that only happen when we pray. There are some things that only happen, some things that we can only experience when we pray, and things like the presence of God, things like knowing that God is in our midst. And he made this point, when we pray, we change. When we pray, we change. Now, that does not mean, we have to be very careful here, that does not mean every problem suddenly goes away. It does not mean that every disease is suddenly healed. It does not mean that life suddenly becomes easy and, you know, we put the false grin on our face and say, well, isn't it all wonderful? But what it means is we start to see things with God's eyes, not our own. I was talking to somebody this morning, I won't mention them, but I was just talking to somebody before the service who said they'd been woken up earlier this morning with a sense that they needed to pray and that God had met them in that situation. The situation was still there, but actually God had met them. They were changed because of prayer. God can change anything. God does answer prayer. Uh, But when we pray, we have to know that God is with us. And we can only get that sense, that, that, that assurance that God is with us when we turn to him. If you stood up last week to commit to a greater prayer life, how is that going this week? Tough. Tough, yeah. I would agree with you. Prayer is hard at times, isn't it? I know for some people, prayer is an absolute delight and you find that very easy. That is brilliant. If that's you, keep praying, keep seeking God. For many of us, prayer is hard. Finding the time, carving the time out is tough. But I will tell you um, a bit of a story. There was, um, three years ago, I was on sabbatical. I don't know where those last three years have gone, but that's three years ago I was on sabbatical. And at the end of that period of time, I went for a retreat up to the Northumbria community. And I had four days up there, just me, um, didn't go to the family or, or any friends or anything else. And apart from meeting with other people first thing in the morning, the rest of the day was pretty well my own. So I walked, I read, and I prayed and ate. Um, but that was it. There, there wasn't a lot else that I did. And I remember by the time those four days came to an end, thinking I feel more different now than I ever have done. Now the problem's of everyday life. They were still there. They had not gone away. But I had spent time dwelling in the presence of God 
in a way that I don't normally get the chance to do. Could I just encourage us? You know, what Ian said last week is so, so true. We can't get that any, any other way. We live in a world that is obsessed with fastness, don't we? With speed. We got a new router sent to us by Virgin this week saying it'll speed your internet up. I don't think there's anything wrong with our internet, but it will speed it up even further. You know, we live in a world you press your button on your phone and Amazon Prime delivers you something before you've even asked for it. And we live in a world of great speed, but actually, prayer being filled doesn't come with a high-speed click. We have to spend that time to dwell in the presence of God. When I was young, I used to go pastoral visiting with my mum. I was about six or seven. She used to take me around to visit all the old ladies in church. We went to some very strange places, I have to say. Um, There was this one lady who thought there was a nuclear war coming, and a whole basement was full of old tins um, in case this nuclear war happened. Um, But anyway, that's another story. There was this one particular lady, and we went to see her. And I always used to, as a six or seven-year-old, love going to see her. Um, she didn't give me chocolate. Some of the other people we went to see gave me chocolate. She didn't. But this was an old, an old lady. She's well into her 90s. And she'd been part of the Brethren Church, and she'd started to come along to our little Baptist church. And she was one of these people who was just, I suppose the only way you could describe it is she radiated Jesus. And as a six- or seven-year-old, you recognize that. You recognize here was somebody who the love of God just poured out from. And she had spent years and years praying. That's what she was. She was an absolute prayer warrior. Mrs. Pedley, I think she was called. And I I don't know what her first name was. Um, But we just used to go and sit, and we'd pray for her, and she would just talk. And she was just the most delightful person. That doesn't come about through rushing. It doesn't come about through a snatched verse of the Bible here. It doesn't come about through a quick arrow prayer. But it comes about through hours, time spent in the presence of God. Seeking the Spirit, longing after God. In that Galatians passage, Paul says, keeping in step with the Spirit is to know what God is doing and to join in. How do we know what God is doing? We've got to get to know God, haven't we? How do we get to know God? We're on our knees praying. How do we pray? We pray, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 24, Paul says, to live by the Spirit is to crucify the desires of the flesh. As the Spirit does a work in us, all those things that actually the human flesh wants to produce, things like anger and greed and bitterness and malice, the New Testament goes on, they start to fade away in the presence of God. Start to fade away. As we walk in step with the Spirit, it's not just about directional stuff, although it is about directional stuff, but it's about keeping in step with who God wants us to be, radiating more of Jesus. I don't know about you, but as I look at our world, it needs a church, I don't just mean our church, but the church who radiates the person of Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, equipped by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to demonstrate the love of God to the world that we live in. Do you want to be filled with the Spirit today afresh? Will we make that our prayer? As we committed last week to a greater prayer life, will we commit as we pray, to say, Lord, fill me with your spirit, spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on me? Just as we, in a moment of of quiet, let's just receive from God. It may be now that you just want to to, um, 
be quiet, and simply be praying that once again, the Spirit of the living God will fall afresh into our lives, into our homes, into our relationships, into our church family. When the Spirit comes, when the Spirit falls, God does things that we cannot do on our own. And so we simply pray, Spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh?